Welcome to Hope's Garden and the Bridegroom Speaks podcast with Laura Ercolino. So we'll begin with the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The first poem, The Bride. I am black but lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kader, like the pavilions of Sama. Take no notice of my swarthiness. It is the sun that has burned me. My mother's sons turned their anger on me. They made me look after their vineyards. Had I only looked after my own. Tell me then, you whom my heart loves, where will you lead your flock to graze? Where will you rest it at noon, that I may not wander like a vagabond beside the flocks of your companions? And so this is where the bride has come to at this point in the song, is she realizes that because of the different traumas in her life, because of the distractions, because of her own sins, that she has not been tending to her own vineyard. She has not been tending to her own heart and that she has been wandering, wandering after false loves, false comforts, the things of the world. She has been wandering and now she knows. It's like we have to come to this place where we've tested all these other things and found, oh no, <laughs> they don't satisfy me. They don't bring me happiness. They only lead to more anxiety, to more depression, to more trouble. And when we come to that point, then we can finally say with her, where do you rest your flock at noon? I want to come and be with you. I know now without a shadow of a doubt that you, my Jesus, are the only one who can lead me to heaven. You are the only one who can satisfy the aches and longings within me. You are the only one who can heal my wounded heart. It's you and you alone. So where do you tend your flock at noon? And so if we think about this idea of our hearts as vineyards or gardens, we'll kind of go back and forth between the two analogies throughout the cantata. So if we start on page 97, down at the bottom with verse 1-6, they made me look after the vineyards because it is true, and I admit it, had I only looked after my own. Very frequently, Israel is called the vineyard of Yahweh in Holy Scripture. And every Jew surely knew by heart the song of Isaiah. My friend had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted choice vines in it. And I want to take a look at that full passage with you. But I want to just stop right there for a minute and think for a second about this. Imagine your heart is this vineyard. Isaiah is singing for his beloved, his beloved God, that God had a vineyard. And look at all the work that God did. He found a fertile hill. He digged it, cleared it of stones, and he planted the choice vines within it. So we can think of two analogies here. One, our hearts, and God is the creator of our hearts. And also of that first garden, that first vineyard that God planted in Eden. 
So keep those two images in your mind as we go through this whole talk today. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. So God planted a vineyard. He built a watchtower. He put his guards over it to keep out the little foxes, to keep out the thief, the enemy who steals and robs. He even hewed out a wine vat ready, ready for the harvest of grapes that would be pressed and crushed so that the juices would flow and then ferment and become wine. And as we heard back in one of the first sessions about wine, that the symbol of wine in scriptures is a symbol for the joy of the Lord, for the joy of his divine love. He invites us to drink later in the song. He'll say, drink deeply. Don't just come and take a sip, but become inebriated on the wine of divine love. Become like the apostles on Pentecost, intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. This is the wine that he was hoping to get from his vineyard. And instead, it says, it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Why do our hearts yield wild grapes instead of good grapes for the Lord? When he's done everything he knew he should and could to give us all that we need to grow good grapes. And yet there are seasons, there are times when we are yielding wild grapes. And so we're going to talk about those things that cause our vineyards to not flourish to not yield a good harvest. In chapter two of the song, the bridegroom will say to the bride that one of those things is the little foxes. Catch us the little foxes that make havoc of our vineyards. And the little foxes, the saints tell us, are things that, that are within us and out of us. So number one, the enemy, the enemy of our souls. He likes to destroy our vineyard hearts. He likes to wreak havoc in them. And he does that by knowing, just like God knows our stories, Satan knows our story. And he will bring up our wounded past. He will bring up the sins that we've already confessed. He will bring up that darkness and invite us to go back into it and to think that we have not been forgiven or that we cannot be forgiven, even though Jesus says his mercy is unfathomable. And so the enemy of our hearts wreaks havoc in our vineyards with his lies and his temptations. And then there's things like our own voice, that negative voice, self-criticizing, self-loathing. That's not the voice of the bridegroom. That's not the voice of God, the divine gardener. But it wreaks havoc in our hearts. And then there are the things that are done to us, the traumas, the sins of others that affect us and wound us, break our hearts. And so this is where the bride is. She's recognizing, she's looking in her own heart at her vineyard and realizing she has been growing wild grapes because she has been burnt by the sun, the sun of exile, the sun of sin, the sun of trauma, 
and she needs the bridegroom. She needs the bridegroom to heal her and to tend her garden heart with her so that she may produce good grapes for him. So on page 98, Father Blaze is still speaking about Israel as the vineyard. Now I will tell you what I will do with this vineyard. I will tear off its hedge. It will be grazed upon. I will knock down its fence. It will be trampled. And a sad echo is to be found also in Psalm 80. In another text, probably even older, Yahweh says through the prophet Hosea, I will lay her vines and fig trees to waste. The parallel between the song and this verse of Hosea is all the more stunning in that the same characters are involved, a husband and his unfaithful wife. It is the same context of the covenant and of the uprooted vine. Therefore, instead of tilling her own vineyard and working for herself, Israel is sentenced to go to a foreign land. Exiled, she has had to work in the vineyards of Nebuchadnezzar's Chaldeans to accomplish the hard labor inflicted on her by her merciless oppressors because she does not know how to keep her own vineyard. Oh, how sad, says Gregory of Nyssa are those who are wise enough to understand when they hear this phrase, I did not take care of my own vineyard. It's such a huge place where, especially we as women, need healing. To know that it actually is a commandment of the Lord that we care for ourselves. But probably the number one that everyone you know, knows is that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And he tells us that what we have done to the least of his brethren, we have done to him. And are we not included in the least of his brethren? And so what we do to ourselves, we do to Jesus. And that means like when I had my eating disorder and I was starving myself, he showed me that I was starving him. And that when I feed myself and care for myself, that's what consoles him. When we talk about how do we console the heart of Jesus, how do we comfort him for all the suffering he's endured for us? Number one, first, by caring for ourselves. Because just on the practical level too, can I fulfill the mission he has for me? Can I be his good wine to the world? If I'm starving myself or I'm not getting enough rest or I'm not taking enough time for quiet and prayer because there's housework to be done or kids to be tended to, I mean, it really goes back to all those years when I was suffering from the depression and then PTSD and everything and, and very well-meaning, loving psychologists, psychiatrists, nurses in the hospital would tell me, honey, you got to put your oxygen mask on first. You got to take care of yourself. And I would think, no, that's the opposite of what Christ tells me. Christ tells me to die for others, right? <laughs> to be self-sacrificing. And in my whole healing journey, and it's, you know, it's been going on for a while. So there's a lot of instances that I could talk about, but one that comes to my mind right this moment is when he showed me that if I wasn't caring for myself, I truly could not care for the ones he had entrusted to me. And that he wasn't asking me to sacrifice myself. He's the one true sacrifice that saved the world. <laughs> I can't save anybody. That's why he's the savior. What he wants me to do is make a gift of myself. But if I don't know who I am, if I don't know what gifts he's given me, 
how can I make a gift? How can I be self-gift to anyone until I recognize first that I am a gift? And so he taught me instead of looking for ways to sacrifice myself, to spend time with him, asking him, Lord, how did you create me as gift? What is the gift that you have put in me? What is this treasure that's been hidden even from my own eyes that you want me to share with others? How can I be self-gift? That became my prayer. Instead of how can I die more for others? How can I sacrifice more? What more could I give up? <laughs> you know, I couldn't think of what else I could give up. I had given up practically my life. So I changed my prayer. He taught me to change my prayer. Christ and John Paul too taught me to change my prayer, to look at how we have been given to one another. And if we give away all of ourselves to those who just take and don't give back, then we have nothing left to give. We can't be that gift he created us to be. So we must, we must tend to our own vineyards. We must look after our own hearts. He tells us in Proverbs to guard our hearts because it is from our hearts that all else flows. Life comes from our heart. It always um, brings to mind the parable of the barren fig tree from Luke chapter 13, verses six to nine. So I'm gonna take a minute and read that to you. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. When I read this, I think about Jesus as the divine gardener who tends the soil in our garden hearts and who says, no, I don't cut down the fig tree. I don't cut down the vines. I don't cut down my flowers when they are struggling to bloom or they are wilting. I come and I tend them all the more intentionally, all the more deliberately, with all the more care and tenderness, I change the soil so that they can bloom, so that they can yield good fruit. And so this is the invitation, I think, to him as we read and study the song. That part of it is an invitation from the bridegroom saying, can I come in? Can I come into your garden heart, to your heart where the little foxes have made havoc for so long? Can I help you catch them and shoo them away? That poison of shame, that poison of sin, that's just contaminated the soil of your heart. Can I shower it with my grace and my mercy? Can I purify it, make it fertile and healthy again? Because I see what you can become. I see all the potential in your seeds. And I want to help you to grow into my beautiful vineyard, to produce good grapes that together we can press and crush into my sweet wine. Because this is what he needs. He needs souls that are full of the joy 
the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord that is our strength, souls that are overflowing with the wine of divine love so that it spills out of us into this hungry, thirsty world. And so we have to come to a place where we know we can't fix ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't grow good grapes. And that was Israel's problem, right? They kept going away from God. They kept wandering astray, being unfaithful. And so he was trying to do all that he could so that they would produce good grapes, but they kept wandering from him. They kept turning their backs on him, not accepting his help, his grace. And so we have to learn from their mistakes and to learn that God is always faithful. We're the ones who wander off after those stray flocks. But if we keep asking our shepherd, our king, and our bridegroom to tell us where he rests his flock at noon, he will show us. He will lead us to that safe pasture. He will shepherd our hearts. What happens when the bride Right? We're here in the first part of the song, and she's just realizing, I have not looked after my own vineyard, my own garden, my own heart. I need Jesus. Like it says in the cantata, I think it's a quote from John of the Cross or St. Bernard. I need Jesus Christ now and immediately. <laughs> right now, there's no one else who will do. No one else who can help me. On my own, I have only made more of a mess of my own heart. I need to let Jesus in now. And then when she does, we go through three chapters then of her journey with the bridegroom, coming into union and closeness, intimacy with him, allowing him to chase out the little foxes, to remove the weeds, to purify the soil that's been poisoned by shame and make it fertile ground again. And then the bridegroom himself says this of the bride. She is a garden enclosed, my sister, my promised bride, a garden enclosed, a sealed fountain, your shoots form an orchard of pomegranate trees. The rarest essences are yours. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all the incense bearing trees. Myrrh and aloes with the subtlest odors. Fountain that makes the garden fertile. Well of living water, streams flowing down from Lebanon. The bride herself has become like the Garden of Eden. She has become a fruitful garden for the bridegroom. And now she is full of his living water. Remember what he says to the woman at the well? That he will give us water to drink and we will never thirst. And that from within us will bubble up fountains of this living water. That because of the living water that flows through us and overflows out into the world, the deserts will bloom. It's the bridegroom's living water in us. And so this is the result. When we allow the bridegroom to come in to our garden hearts where havoc has been wreaked, this is the transformation, the transfiguration, the healing, the redemption. That's the vision of it. And it's also repeated in Isaiah 51. He says, hearken to me, you who pursue deliverance, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were digged. 
look to the rock, to Christ, to the quarry in his side, his wounded side that was pierced for us so that blood and water, love and mercy would flow. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. And I don't know, but that's what I would like my heart to be like. <laughs> I much prefer that vision of my heart than the one that I have known of a heart full of tears and weeping and pain. When I read this, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden. It just makes me think about how even when we pray the Our Father and we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how we've been told in the scriptures that his kingdom is here within us, right? And so I see this like as heart by heart is converted, heart by heart comes to know the bridegroom and allows the bridegroom to come in and make our garden hearts like Eden, that then his kingdom comes. His kingdom comes here on earth, heart by heart, one heart at a time. Eden is recreated. Eden is here again. We are returned to the garden. So I want to end today with a little prayer that was inspired by this verse from Isaiah 51. The bridegroom will surely comfort me. And he will look with compassion on all my weakness and brokenness. He will make my desert heart like Eden. Joy and gladness will be found in me. Thanksgiving and the sound of singing. The song of the bridegroom and the bride. Amen. For more resources and our consecration to Christ the Bridegroom, visit hopesgarden.com, the sanctuary where the spousal love of Christ the Bridegroom heals hearts, marriages, and families. You may also want to join our community powered by Mighty Networks. Download the Mighty Networks app and find us at Hope's Garden.